0: Welcome today. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 22. I'm going to get there in just a minute. Matthew chapter 22. We're starting this uh, two-week series on uh, thin ice. Uh, Not actually starting on thin ice, but about thin ice. And uh, we're talking about marriage relationships. And As we were talking about this, my first experience about nine years ago moving to Wisconsin was, uh, I'll never forget, driving north on 41 Uh, going right over Lake Winnebago, and out of my peripheral view, I see vehicles in the middle of wintertime on the lake. And I was like, whoa, whoa, what's going on here? And I mean, I was looking, and maybe I'm just seeing something. So I'm driving, and I'm looking, and I realize, no, I'm not. This isn't a figment of my imagination. There are people with four-wheel drive trucks and SUVs on a lake, Now, you have to understand, I grew up in the South, and the only people that did that, those were their famous last words, hey, watch this, boys, and they would run a four-wheel drive truck in the middle of a lake, because they, you know, ice thick enough that you can drive on it, ice fishermen, I have people to this day say, hey, I'd like to take you pastor to go ice fishing, no, thank you, no, I appreciate that, that still wigs me out to just think about being on ice, and, um, the deal is, is that is, uh, when it comes to relationships, um, I think that this thin ice problem is a situation that, quite frankly, is pretty pervasive, uh, when it, especially when it comes to marriages. And, uh, and that is, is that you, you're in a relationship, you're in a marriage, and you know things are thin, and you know things are kind of patchy, but you just kind of go on out, and you just keep walking, and just keep hoping that somehow, some way, the, the, the ice will thicken, or you won't fall through, and, and that with each step, it's, you're listening for the crack, and you're listening for the stress, and you're listening for this, and, and you know the temperatures are rising, and you know if you don't do something that you're, that you're going to be underwater, and that's part of why I wanted to speak this weekend and next weekend, because I think what happens is, is that a lot of times people, um, nobody really wants to ask for help until it's too late, and, and even in a, a service like this weekend, uh, you know, you've got two kinds of people. You have people who are, that are married, that is, that, that the relationship is strong and that they're, they're not on a thin ice. And then there are those that are. And, uh, and for those of you that are, I, I want to try to help you maybe thicken the ice and, and thicken the relationship. And for those of you that aren't, uh, it may be something that may be preemptive. Or just a good reminder. And for those of you that are single. You may go, man, I'm single. You know, I showed up for this. You're going to talk about marriage this week and next weekend. This is about what to look for and how to prepare yourself for that marriage that that you may have in your future. Now, there's a book by Dr. Holly Hines called The Sexual Detour. I'm going to share with you a couple statistics that kind of prove this whole point of of thin ice in relationships in America. Uh, Nearly 70% of married men and 60% of married women have affairs in the United States. These are, I mean, they've surveyed and I've had an affair. 70% of men, 60% of women. In the United States, less than half of the couples who are married stay married for 15 years. So if you've been married for 15 years or longer, you're in a category that's the, you're, you're, you're in the top 50th percentile uh, in, the US, in the U.S. And every 10 to 13 seconds, another couple files for divorce. Every 10 to 13 seconds. Not minutes, not hours, but seconds. So we know that something's wrong. We know there's thin ice relationally. And here's the reality. If the statistics, you know, we we know that basically 50% of all marriages today in the U.S. end in divorce. And if the statistics outside the church were different than the statistics inside the church, it would be a completely different conversation. But the reality is, is that Protestant or Catholic, the the statistics of, of divorce rates outside the church and inside the church are the same. And so when you're dealing with that, you're dealing with a lot of people who are very thin, relationally speaking. They're on a lot of thin ice. And if those kind of statistics were happening in other areas of our life, we would throw a major alarm. Think about this. All those of you who are moms in this room, if, if tomorrow uh, they, they said, hey, you know what? At the, bu- at the bus stop this week, uh, there's a 50% chance that your child will be eaten alive by a bear. Before arriving at school, we, we'd have major, "Oh, they're, they're, you know, you'd drive your kids, you'd homeschool, some of you'd be you know what? I mean, you'd do all kinds of things, because there's just no way we would play with those kinds of odds. Or if, if one out of every two times you got behind the wheel, you were in an automobile accident, you'd either quit driving or something would change. But what happens is, it's just like anything, we get used to it. We get kind of numb to it. We've heard the numbers, we've heard the statistics, and we either think, well, that's just life or that's not me." And the reality is, it, it, it can be both. And, and so, I want to talk about how do we avoid that? How do we change that? What does the Bible say about that? Well, this week, I, I want to I give you the first key to th- avoiding thin ice, and that's this finding the one. How do you find the one? Finding the one. So, the Bible says Jesus answers this about the one in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, 38, and 39. And he says it this way. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And and this is the first and greatest commandment. So, we talk to people, and we talk about this in a marital relationship. We go, hey, man, you need to find Mr. Right, or I found Mr. Right, or I found Miss Right, or I'm looking for Miss Right, or I, I'm, I'm looking for this, or I'm looking for that. I'm looking for the one. Have you found the one? I found the one. I'm looking for the one. Do you know where the one is? And we think the one is a person. We think that the one is if I just married the perfect person, if I just find the perfect person, if I just find the perfect individual, life will all be happily ever after. And every person that's married laughs, because we, it's just not true. It's, it's, it's this myth. And, and here's what I mean by this. And I do premarital counseling with couples that are getting married, and everybody who gets married at Life Church or who gets married by a life church pastor, we have them go through premarital counseling. And one of the conversations that I have with is, is I'll have like a cup, and, and I'll say, "Look, this cup represents your life. And everybody has, you get to, you get to choose what you fill the cup of your life with. It's a 10% job and 50% God and 30% fun and, and you know, what, whatever it may be. I mean, you, you get to fill, you get to choose what you fill the cup of your life with. And so if Johnny, if 50% of Johnny's life is filled with God and 50% of Sally's life is filled with God and Johnny and Sally are engaged to be married, Johnny and Sally, you don't take those two cups and pour them together and they have 100% God. They have 50% of their life is filled with God. And so, half the time, God's number one in their life. Not all the time. If Johnny has 70% God and Sally's got 30% God, you don't have 100% God either. What you do is you have 30% God because you go to the lowest common denominator. So, Johnny, who has 70%, Sally's only got 30%. The 30%, the lowest common denominator, actually becomes the, the, the new lid in the relationship. And you go, well, why is that so important? Because, because Jesus said there in, in Matthew that God's got to be number one in our life. God's, God's, that's the greatest thing that we're to do is to have him number one in our life. And this is the thing that I tell every young couple that's getting ready to be married. Fill the cup of your life not with yourself. Fill the cup of your life not with a career. Fill the cup of your life not with the future or with children. Fill the cup of your life not with your future spouse. Fill the cup of your life 100% with Jesus. Because Matthew said it this way in chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, then all these things shall be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, then all these things shall be added unto you. When you take care of the vertical relationship, God takes care of the horizontal things in life. When you take care of this one thing, God takes care of these things. Because here's the misnomer, that I can fix this person. I can fix my kids. I can take care of my job. I can take care of my family. I can take care of this. I can take care of that. You can't. I can't. None of us can. The only thing we can do, we can hardly take care of ourselves. Amen? Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. The only thing we can do is say, I'm going to focus on this. And if I will put God number one in my life, all these things shall be added unto me. Well, he created the family before he created the church. So he cares about my relationship with my spouse. He cares about my children. The Bible says that the Heavenly Father who loves us, uh, cares more about us than even, even a natural father. I mean, you know, uh, God cares about us. God cares about our children. God cares about your job. The Bible says, He that, 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 you know, that, that doesn't work, if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. And those who don't provide for their families, worse than an unbeliever. God cares more about gainful employment and prosperity of your life than you do. So all of these things that we, that we find ourselves fighting under, uh, our marriages, our children, our finances, all these things, God, those are all important and God put all those things in our life and, and those things, quite frankly, predate sin. But the way we do it, especially uh, the, uh, humans, is that we want to take care of all of these things And then let God take care of the God thing. We'll take care of this God, and you take care of the spiritual. We'll take care of the natural. God said, no, 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 no. You take care of the supernatural, then I'll put my super onto your natural, and I'll take care of all these things. Vertical first, then horizontal second. Vertical first, horizontal second. This is the big thing. You take care of this, I'll take care of these issues. And so I sit there and I say, so you have a cup that represents your life. What are you filling it with? Johnny, what are you filling it with? Sally, what are you filling it with? Sally, if Johnny's only filling it with 50% of Jesus, I'm telling you, you're going to have problems. And I'll explain that why in just a minute. Johnny, if Sally's only got 45% of Jesus, I'm telling you, you're going to have problems. I'm just going to tell you, you're you're going to have problems. If you're going to try to be a Christian marriage and a Christian home, you're going to try to love God, you're going to have some issues. You both have to settle this lordship issue with filling the cup of your life 100% with God. I didn't write the book. It's the way it is. But when you do that, God will take care of these other things in your life so the essence basically is this when we're talking about finding the one God is the one that's the simple thing God is the one God is the one not your spouse not your kids not your job not your career not your future not one well, this time in my life my one is going to be my college education and this time in this time of my life it's going to be about marriage and this time of my life it's going to be about my kids it doesn't work that way God has to be number one. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. God says, I will be number one or nothing at all. That's commandment number one. I won't have any other gods, lowercase g, any other objects of affection other than me. I have to be it. I have to be sinner. And you go, that's pretty jealous. Well, God says to himself in the Old Testament, he's a jealous God. So, hey, you're a spiritual scholar. You didn't even know it. I mean, the deal is, is that's the way it works. God says, I'm going to be number one or nothing at all. I'm going to have first place or nothing at all. And, and sometimes we think, well, you know, I'll just do some things. Maybe, maybe you'll gain some brownie points with God. You know, I'll show up at church and do that. Listen, going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Going to church doesn't put God number one in your life. It's part of it, but it's not all of it. And here at Life Church, I mean, we, we celebrate the fact that probably 30% of the people that walk through the doors of the church aren't Christ followers. They're people, you know, I mean, they're people from all kinds of walks of life. They're people that are kicking tires on faith. They're, you know, cocaine snorting, skirt chasing half lip people coming in because they lost a bet and finally they're going to go to church because their coworker or their friend or their brother or their sister or their mom or their grandma or their great aunt, whoever, <laughs> said, if you'll come to church, I'll do such and such. And so finally get them off their back, they will. Maybe that's you today. I don't know. But but just because you come a life church doesn't mean you're 100% God. Just because you lift your hands and worship doesn't mean you're 100% God. Just because you have a Bible with your name on the front doesn't mean you're 100% God. Just because you went through life track and you're a member of life church doesn't mean you're 100%. This is a personal decision that we make every single day of our life to fill the cup of my life. Because if Johnny and Sally have the cup of their life filled to 100% with Christ, when those two become one, according to Scripture, they have 100% of their relationship that's focused on God. And if that mix isn't there, God's not number one. God has to be number one. So when we talk about finding the one, if you're single, let me help you out. Pursue him. The Bible says, Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things. All is that man, that perfect man, that mighty, mighty, mighty fine man. It's that, it's that smoking hot chick. I'm telling you, it's y'all are looking at me like, well, I can't believe I don't talk like that. Yes, you do. Just. <laughs> Come on, have you read the Song of Solomon lately? Hallelujah. So listen, the bottom line is is that, is that God created you that way. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, think about this. God created sex. He's a pretty cool God. I mean, this he created all this. I, I don't you go back to Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, birds and the bees. I think we all forget it, right? Okay. Praise his name. Hallelujah. Somebody's want to thank you Jesus. So, here's what my point is. If you're single, don't try to just 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 chase after this good-looking guy or this good-looking gal, pursue him and allow him to bring, that to, 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 to bring that place in your life. I'm telling you, go. that sounds so opposite. That's the kingdom. The Bible says if you want to be first, then you've got to be last. If you, want to be, if you want to be served, then you've got to be one to serve. If you, if you, if you want to have friends, then you've got to first be friendly. If you want to receive, then you've got to give. That's the way of the kingdom. You, you want, you want to, to find the person that God has for you, then pursue God. Don't pursue man. And if you're married in this room, make the gut check, not for your spouse, but for yourself. How much of my life is about the number one? Or have I replaced the number one? Have I replaced my true love with someone else or something else? See, because number two in a marital relationship should be your spouse. Number two should be the spouse. God is number one, spouse is number two. God's number one, spouse, not kids. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Not God, God's number one, spouse is number two. That's the way God designed it to be. It's to put him first, put your spouse second, and then your children uh, and, and these other things that follow. So how does the one thing work? Well, let's talk a little bit about this. I promise that God will be my number one priority and my spouse will be my number two. You have to make a decision that that's what you're going to do because life is not going to conveniently just do that for you. Life's not just going to make it easy for you. You've got to make a decision. You know what, God, I'm going to put you number one in my life. You know what, God, I'm going to pursue you number one in my life. You know what, God, I'm going to just trust that your word is true. I'm going to lean so heavily on your word that if it were to move, I'd fall. And the second thing I'm going to do is make sure that my spouse is number two in my life. And and here's what I'll tell you. If you'll make that decision that God's number one and spouse is number two, here's what I'll tell you. If in a marriage, both husband and wife have God as number one and spouse is number two, I guarantee you that it will work. But if God's number one is not number one in your life, or not number one in your spouse's life, and those priorities are disjointed, it will always, always create problems. Always. It is impossible for two people, for a husband and for a wife, to be passionately in love with God and passionately serving God and filling the cup of their life with God and to go to divorce. It is impossible. Well, I know somebody. They're really good people. I didn't say they weren't really good people. There'd be really be good people that go to hell. I mean, I didn't write the book. I'm just telling you, there's really good people that don't go to church. I know some really good people that I, sometimes I think they're nicer than me. That I go, man, I need to learn something from them. That they don't even profess to be Christ followers. It's not about being really good. It's not about being really nice. It's about making a personal decision to say, Jesus Christ has got to be number one in my life and everything else has got to be number two. And you go, well, where do you get the biblical authority to say that? Because when the, when the religious leaders of the day in the book of Matthew come to Jesus and say, why did Moses give a right of divorcement in the Old Testament? Jesus' response was this. Because of the hardening of man's heart. Anytime two people that call themselves Christians go into divorce... And I'm not shooting judgment. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm just giving you a fact. One of the two or both of those individuals have hardened their heart towards that relationship with Christ. It is impossible for two people to be passionately in love with Jesus to go into divorce. Somewhere along the way, they took God off of number one. They put him down to number two, number three, number four, number 16. They put him somewhere way beyond the other priority. And they put other things in front of that. And the cup of their life crowded God out. I'm telling you, this number one issue is the most important thing about keeping your marriage strong. It's a number one thing about how to live life. Those of you that have children, it's a number one way to to illustrate to to, to your kids. Because, guys, they're looking to you. Men, fathers, husbands, they're looking to you. Your sons are looking to you to what a man of God should look like. And your daughters are looking to you of what, what she should marry and what she should look for in a man of God. And, young, and, 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 and and the reality is simply this, is that we need to be that example to them, to, our, to, to, to ourselves, to our spouses, to the world in which we live in. And so wrong priorities, a lot of times people, we get this mixed up, we put kids number one. I know people that get kids in one. Some of you need to just take your minivan and paint it yellow and put a little checkered, checkered little strip around it. Don't, don't start pointing right now. And put a little taxi light on the top. Because that's all you are. You're a taxi for your kids. You run your kids everywhere. You do your kids everywhere. And, and, and this and that. And, and, and some, some of you, you're out there spinning wheels and making deals because you're trying to have more money and a bigger house and a bigger this and a bigger this and a bigger that. And you never got to go to Disney World. You're trying to make that up for your kids. And you're doing all this kind of stuff. And you doing all this stuff for your kids. Your kids are in 16 different sports and that kind of a deal. And you're checking out on me. Listen to me. You have moved out of the CEO position of your family. You've moved out of the corner office called the master bedroom. And you've allowed your kids to run your family. And it's not God-honoring. It's not biblical. It will destroy your marriage. It will destroy your love life. It will destroy your kids. Because when they find out that not everybody gets a first-place ribbon, and there is A's, B's, C's, D's, and F's, and not incompletes in this world, they're going to be devastated. Mm, don't shut me down when I'm preaching Good. We are not designed to cater to our kids. The Bible says in the book of Deuteronomy, you are to teach and to train them to do one thing, to leave. (laughs) That's what it says. Mm, There's going to be a day. Soon and very soon, and Johnny's going to leave the house. Oh, hallelujah, Lord, come quickly. My God, somebody call me a taxi. You know what I'm talking about? There's a day when they won't be on your credit card, right? Come on. There's some. What is this American culture that says we have to do all this? It's not biblical. Do you love your kids? Yes. Do you want your kids to have it better than you? Yes. Do you want to open up doors of opportunity? Yes. But the way I do that is not by forfeiting their spot and placing priority in my family and putting them above my spouse or above God or above me. It's to teach them and to train them. God number one, spouse number two. Some, some of you, you struggle with your job and you're out there. And you're really your motive is to make money to provide a better better life for your family and for your kids. But you're missing life. Who cares? Who cares that Johnny gets to go to this school? Who cares that Sally gets to play in this, 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 this select club? Who cares that this happens? Who cares how much money is, is there in, in their college fund? You're not going to see them graduate because you're going to work yourself into an early grave. And you're going to look up one day and they're gone. And everybody else is going to influence their life but you. Because you put your job, and it's not that you're a bad person, but in your, right, in your right motive, your intent didn't equal your direction of your life, and you wind up one day with a very distant, fragmented relationship with the very people that you're trying to serve. God never intended you to put your job in front of Him, or from your spouse, or in front of your kids. Some of you, you struggle with putting yourself. I hear people say this, Well, I'm going to have a divorce because I'm just not happy when in the Sam Hill did it ever become about you being happy? See, this is the problem that we have in our little 90-second-of-fame society that we live in. Is that we go, you know what? If I've lost that love and feeling, it's gone, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. It must mean that it's over. Go to the next person. It's the commitment that makes the love last, not the love that makes the commitment last. There are going to be days you don't feel madly in love with that person that you said I do to. There are going to be seasons that it will be dry. There will be times where it will be a little frigid. There will be seasons where you don't agree eye to eye. And you say to yourself, self, is it just me? Maybe. But but self, is it what? I'm telling you, and it's in those moments that you make a decision. That you say, come hell or high water... I made it a commitment and a vow before man and unto God that till death do me part, and I'm going to walk this thing out. I'm going to choose today to stay committed. I know that sounds 1950s, leave it to beaver, but I'm telling you, before it was leave it and it was beaver, it was in the Word. I'm going to give it to God. I'm going to trust Him. I'm going to make a commitment to this person, and I am going to put Him first, that spouse second, and these other things third, and I'm not going to allow my emotions to dictate If I'm married or if I'm divorced, if I'm committed or if I'm not, even if I've lost that love and feeling, it's gone, 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 whoa, 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 I'm still going to get up, look at that person square in the eye, tell them they're the most beautiful person on the planet and that I love them and that I'm going to be there to to serve them and to do life with them and I'm going to do that as unto the Lord and I'm going to walk this thing out until those emotions come back because the commotions come and go, but commitment has to remain the same. Do you always feel like serving God? No. Do you always feel like doing the right thing? No. It's called integrity. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's a byproduct of a discipline in your life that you choose. I'm not going to do this, and I'm going to do this. I'm not going to do this, and I'm going to do this. And I want to do this, but I'm not going to do this, and I'm going to do this. Why? Because I'm not going to violate God's Word. And even if I sin, I'm going to ask God to forgive me, and I'm going to get back up, and I'm going to dust myself off, and I'm going to walk this thing out, and I'm going to choose to be an integral person because it's a commitment to serve Christ, not a feeling and emotion. It's a commitment to serve Christ. I don't I, we we've lost this in the fabric of our world. It's a commitment. I'm going to be committed to very few things, but the things I am committed to, I'm going to stay committed to. It doesn't matter. I made a commitment whether I'm happy or I'm sad. <laughs> whether, whether she is a burden or whether she is a blessing. Whether he is wonderful or whether he is horrible. I am going to stay committed. Why? Because it's the commitment that makes the love last, not the love that makes commitment last. And just like with your relationship with Christ, there may be seasons where it's sheer hell. But you walk it out. Because you know that that's that commitment. And what, here's what happens. Out of discipline comes delight. light. But you don't know that unless you walk through discipline. You know, it's a honeymoon at the beginning. And then there becomes a season of dryness. And then there comes a season of discipline where it's really going to... And if you walk that thing out, don't become weary and well-doing for a due season if you don't quit. You have reward. Right? Why does it say don't become weary in doing good? Because you're going to become weary in doing good. Why? Because it, it's not easy doing good. And it gets old doing good. And it's going to get tired of doing good. And there's going to be better options than, than doing good. And, and there's going to be times you don't feel like doing good. But if you don't become weary in doing good, which is a personal choice and a decision, it's not some hallelujah, holy ghost doodad moment. If you choose that you are going to not become weary in doing good, you'll have a reward. The same is true of your marriage. If you choose that you will stay committed to the person that you said I do to, and you want to allow your emotional feelings to go left and right and you will stay true to that commitment regardless how your emotions feel you will have your reward and you will be blessed and your marriage will be blessed and God will be exalted and it will be better than you ever thought it could be but we run amok so many times with people saying what's about me and about my feelings and life is short wrong priorities and so I want to encourage you anytime it's not God number one and spouse number two your marriage suffers but when God's number one and your spouse is number two, then God begins to become exalted and you begin to get into the sweet spot of life. Men, just really quick, I want to talk to the men really quick. How, what do you do? Let's, we've talked about number one. How do we deal with God? Let's talk about how we deal with priority number two just really quick. The Bible says Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, it gives us the directive. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It doesn't tell... The wives love the husbands. Why? Because that's a very natural gifting that a woman has towards a man. But it does remind us, men, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So how do you love your wife? Well, I think one of the most basic elements is to protect your wife and to lead in the home. What do you mean by that, Aaron? Well, physically that comes naturally. We understand what it means to, to, to physically protect our wife and our kids. We understand. There's just something about us. It just kind of goes, there's that, I'm going to physically be a protector of my family. Uh, But spiritually, it means being a spiritual leader. That's how you you put her number two in your life, is by being a spiritual leader. What does that mean? That means by you initiating the spiritual leadership of your home, and and don't relegate that to her because you're not man enough to do it. Well, but you don't understand, Aaron. I'm I'm not really that kind of a, I'm more of a silent type. Well, let me read that verse again. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, unless you're a silent type. And he gave himself up for (laughs) her. It doesn't say that. Does it say that in your Bible? I'm telling you, it wouldn't be bad to sit there, men at dinner time, and just say, let's pray. And lead in prayer. Why? Because your kids need to hear you pray. They're going to hear mama pray. They need to hear daddy pray. Hmm. They need to see you open with the Bible. I'm not asking you to be weepy. I'm not asking you to be emotional. Just read. You can read, can't you? Just read. Read. Read the Bible. You go, that's crazy. No, 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 no. I'm telling you. I learned how to do this, not from a pastor, not from a youth pastor, but from my father, who was a factory worker, who I've only seen cry two times in my life. My dad's about as stoic as they get. And he will light you up like a Christmas tree if you get out of line. But I saw my dad. I heard him pray. And I saw my dad read the Bible. I saw my dad put my mom second and my brother and I third and himself last. I saw my dad lead in the home. And I said to myself, self, that's how I want to be. Because I'm just telling you, it takes a man to sit there and pray out loud. Nobody's going to put me in the corner. It, it, it takes a man to sit there and say, I'm going to read the Word. I'm going to le- 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 read things from the Word of God. I'm going to do spiritual leadership in your home. I'm not, asking, I'm not asking you to get all weepy and cry and be emotional. I'm not asking you to wave your hands like a willow tree. I'm not asking you to do anything crazy. Just spiritually take the initiation in the home. Uh, um. Financially, put God first. Tithing, uh, debt. Watch your debt load, and, and provide financially for your family. So These biblical things, very, very basic things. Again, I didn't learn how to tithe through some Bible college class. I didn't learn how to tithe from a senior pastor when I was a youth pastor. I didn't learn how to tithe from a youth pastor. I learned how to tithe because on Sunday morning, as I'm walking through the kitchen with a jug of milk in my, in my hand, that my mother would get on to me for, and drinking it right from the jug, right? Any other guys, come on, you know I'm talking about, that's good stuff. Whole milk, hallelujah. So anyhow, and, and I would say, Dad, what are you doing? None, none of that skim milk, Right. Oh come on, hallelujah. And so mick mustache and the whole deal we you And he said he looked at me like dummy Lamont. You dummy! I'm I'm paying the tithe. I'm bringing the tithe. And I have seen my dad. And my, my dad my dad wasn't some executive. My dad didn't didn't we didn't come from some money. I saw my dad though. But you practice biblical principles of debt reduction and debt to income ratios and putting money back and making wise investments and putting God first to give me. I saw my dad, listen, I saw my dad bring the tithe when he didn't have the money to to, to barely put gas in the truck. That's how I learned this principle. And if you ask my father today who's retired, how and why he got to the place he is, he'll tell you, I put God first. He's told me before, son, I look around all these other people and realize I'm blessed because he's blessed me because I have honored his word. Men, lead in your home. Don't let your wife be the one that's leading. And, and nagging you about it, lead. I'm not saying she can't write the check or whatever, but lead. Just do this together. Uh, relationally, make a covenant with your eyes. Job says, "I made a covenant in my eyes that I won't look upon a woman inappropriately." Make sure that you make a covenant with your eyes that that, that you're not going to look upon anyone in a sexual manner outside of your spouse. That that, that you're that you're going to you're going to walk it with integrity before the Lord. Uh, you know, emotionally, let her know that she's number two. And again, I know that's not always easy, but 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 you need to communicate that. You need to tell her. Don't don't have the philosophy. Well, I told her 25 years ago that I loved her when we got married. If that changed, I let her know. No, you need to say it on an ongoing basis. I love you. You're beautiful. You're wonderful. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. Thank you for this. I, you know, do that kind of a deal and, and, and make those priorities in your life. Now, I'm going to ask Tammy to join me because she's going to talk to the ladies because I don't want to get emails this week, right? So will you give Tammy a big hand as she comes up?
1: Now let's bash the men. No, I'm just joking. Whoa, easy. Um, if you have your Bible with you, um, I'm going to be reading the verse, um, Ephesians 5.22. I'm going to read it from the message because I love the way the message words it. Because if you've ever got in a fight with your spouse, not that we do, it's a, more like a friendly discussion, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he ever throws the verse at you, doesn't it say somewhere in the word that you're supposed to submit yourself to me. Well, nothing's wrong with the word submit, but I like the way the message says it better. So that's how I'm going to read it to you today. Maybe. I shook it too much. Okay. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. Again, wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The two key words there, understand and support. You have to know your husband in order to be able to understand him, which will then allow you to be able to support him. If you don't understand, then you cannot support him. You say, but Tammy, you don't understand. You don't understand what it's like to be married to this man. You just don't understand. And you're right. I, I don't understand what it's like to be married to your, to your husband. But I do know what the word says. And the word says that you are to understand and you are to support him. You were given two choices in life. When you stood there with this man that you're married to now. The first one happened when you had the choice where you going to say yes or no when he asked you to marry him. And you said yes. And then your second choice came around when it was standing before God and that man and a company of people. And you said, I do. You said, I do, that you wanted to join this man and you wanted to live life with this man. You wanted to be a helpmate. You wanted to join him. You wanted to understand him and support him. You took up the verse. Ephesians 5.22, when you said, I do. You're like, whoa, 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 wait, I did? I don't remember saying that. I don't remember, uh, oh, no, no. Yeah, you did When your vows. You said, I do. That doesn't give you now that he may not be doing what Aaron just listed. He may not be doing those things, but that doesn't give you an out. That doesn't give you the opportunity to say, whoa, I need to step in here, and I need to fill that role that he's leaving out. No, 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 no. Because anything that has two heads, we call what? That's a freak. That's a freak of nature. That's not right. That's not normal. And there's going to be friction, and there's going to be fighting, and there's going to be a lot of friendly discussion going on. But that's not healthy. He needs to be able to know that you understand him and that you support him. How do you do that? You're like, Tammy, I, I, I don't know this man. I thought I knew him, but I don't know him now just like Aaron said, just because you thought you knew him when you were dating, just because you thought you knew him when you got married, before the kids, after the kids, it all changes. You've changed. You're a different person than when you said, I do. He's having to know you and you're having to know him so that you can understand and support, get to know him, figure him out. Some cases it just can't be that hard but you have to know him to understand him in order to support him. I highly recommend a book called The Five Love Languages. If you're having a hard time and you're struggling and you just feel like you cannot support him, you do not understand him, get this book and read it. Devour it. Study it. Then figure out what his love languages are. Get to know him. So, you can understand him, so you can support him. And then cover him. Completely cover him in prayer. He doesn't have to know it. You don't have to make this a big deal where you go and you go, I'm praying for you. I just want you to know, I'm praying that you're gonna be the man of God that I want you to be. (laughs) No, 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 no. That's gonna cause problems. No, pray for him. Get on your knees fall before the Lord and lay him at the feet of Jesus and say, he's yours. He's yours. Please, Lord, you know my heart. You know what this family needs, and you give him to God. God will do amazing things if we, who tend to be little fixers, will step out of the way and let him do the work. God knows what you need and what your family needs. Let him do the work. You need to know him, to understand him, so you can support him. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I want to wrap things up, and I want you to grab this communication
0: card. We're going to give you a chance to, to take up the offering in a minute. But seriously, before we end this, the sermon part portion, to grab the communication card. And on the back, uh, there's a, one that says, uh, I commit to the seven-day prayer challenge. And I'm going to ask you, uh, just kind of an action point, is to do that. And if you're single, here's what this means. It means that you're going to the next seven days just make this a focus in your prayer to make God number one in your life. Well, I don't know if God's number one. Ask him, he'll tell you. He'll bring those things up that are competing with him. And just simply just do because here's the deal is if you will fill the cup of your life with Jesus, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things shall be added unto you. He knows what you desire. And so instead of you looking for someone that you think you need, just look to him and allow him to bring that person into your life, and he will. And the second thing is, is if you're married, uh, Tim and I are going to be doing this, and I encourage everyone to be doing this, is just to pray, God, I pray for me that you will be number one in my life and that I will make sure that my spouse is number two. Have a conversation with your spouse but but I encourage you to pray and, to, and just to make that a focus that He's number one, and if He's not, ask Him. He'll tell you, and then that the spou- your spouse is number two. And if you and sometimes you know with Tammy and I, we we have conversations where, hey, how am I doing? You know, honestly, do you you know your love language is different than mine, and so do you, you know. Am I giving you what you need? And, and you, know, how, you know, whatever. I mean, there are times where my schedule, I'm, I'm in a season right now where I'm traveling a ton. And we had a conversation about this yesterday. About, you know, I need to make sure I'm, I'm trying to be home X number of nights a week and that kind of a deal. But how is that going? This is just a season uh, right now. And, um, and so, you know, and, and just to be honest with one another. But, but to make sure, to make a commitment that you ask for God to be number one in your life and in your marriage and that your spouse is number two. Folks, the reason why you pray that is because prayer changes things. The reason why you pray that is because prayer moves mountains. The Bible says that if you just ask the Lord and you speak to this mountain through faith, be cast into the sea, it will be done by the Father in heaven. And so whatever you're struggling with in your marriage, whatever you're seeking God for as far as a mate or your future, if you give it to him, he delights, the Bible says. He enjoys to, to, to bless his children. So I want you. If you're here with your spouse. I want you to take the hand of your spouse. If you're not. We're going we're, we're gonna to pray for you. But those of you that are here. I want you to take the hand of your spouse. Just real quick. And we're going to pray. I'm going to come back in a minute for the offering. This isn't the offering. I just wanna, but I want to pray for the marriages. And I'm going to pray for those of you that are single in this room. That God will help us to, to enact this principle in our life. Lord I just thank you today God. For every marriage that's here. God I thank you Lord for every life. That's, exa- that, that's, that's represented in this room. I thank you for every single person that's in this room. And, Lord, I know there are people that, uh, God, we're, 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 we make mistakes. Lord, we, we, we mess things up. And then some things, life happens to us. And this message is not about beating up on people that have gone through divorce or making anybody feel bad about their past. Lord, your word says that it's, that it's the devil that condemns us, that you condemn us not, that you've come to give us life and that you've come to give us a fresh start, that you've come to give us hope. So I pray, Lord, that we would find the hope in your word. God, as we listen to it, and as we apply these things to our life, as we examine ourselves, Lord, you're our high priest. Lord, are you number one in our life, whether we're single or whether we're married? Are you number one in our life? And Lord, as we ask of you this week, Lord, as we commit ourselves to this this week, I pray, whether single or married, I pray, Father, that you would speak to us. And if there's areas we need to change, show us give us wisdom of how to change them. If there are things that we need to do differently, give us wisdom and give us the strength to do those things differently. Lord, if we're on the right track, just give us confirmation and peace, Lord, that we're walking this thing out. But I pray for every marriage you put a hedge of protection around, that you would bless, that you would minister, that you would keep. Lord, that we would keep you number one and our spouse number two and everything else below that. You number one and our spouse number two. I pray, Lord, for every single in this room. God, that you would help them not to look after a person to be the fulfillment of their happiness. God, that you're the only one that can fill the cup of our lives. You're the only one that can, can give us what we need. But Lord, when we put you first, that you'll bring these things to place in our life. And God, I pray for every single, Lord, every single person. God, I pray in this room that you would help them to pursue you with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I pray, give them, Lord, the desires of their heart according to your word. In Jesus' name I pray and thank you for it. Amen.